Hey everyone, it's Hayden here. Welcome back to episode 25 of Time the Round. Today I'm joined by Isaac Jensen, the Prince of Precision himself from the Attack Action Podcast, a good friend of the show, and a man who's just come off the back of a Nationals Top 8, uh, US Nationals, being the only Lexi in a, you know, a room full of room blades, and in fact the only Lexi in the Top 8. So Isaac, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm honored to be here. You guys make uh, top quality content, so thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Bit of a well, lack of an elephant in the room, actually. No, uh, no, Brendan today, as uh, as you'll see. Brendan's been a little bit under the weather, so Isaac thankfully has agreed to join me. Um, rumor has it though, Isaac, that Brendan just didn't want to join because you talked a lot of smack about him on the Attack Action podcast when he was on this week. So he's a little bit, you know, licking wounds, beaten up a little bit. He'll be all right. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. No, unfortunately, just just couldn't be here today. So, Isaac, I get to I get to chat to you. And, and first thing I wanted to ask you is, I, you got to tell me about the the nickname. So I know you know Taylor, obviously Falcon of the West, <laughs> the Prince of Precision. Are these self given nicknames? I I, I got to know. I remember I remember hearing for the first time on the Attack Action podcast that the, the nicknames busted out, and I thought I don't I don't remember these uh, being organically <laughs> given. I, I need to find out about this. No, the best nicknames are the ones that you make up yourself, yourself. and force on your community over and over. No, um, uh, my nickname is given to me by Taylor, who uh, came up with his, and I did not have a nickname as far as I'm aware. And, uh, you know, it was kind of unbalanced. So based on, uh, you know, our two-hour-long games of Azalea versus Viserai, you know, Crucible meta mid-COVID, uh, he called me the Prince of Precision. Somebody called me Ejac Frost, though, the other day, which I kind of liked also after after the Lexi performance. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, I want to talk about, obviously, US Nationals and your top eight and how that came to be. But as as always, I think it's great to just hear a bit about how you got into the game. Uh, you yourself, Isaac, how long have you been playing? What set did you start playing it? And yeah, how did you come across Flesh and Blood? Oh, sure. Yeah, Um so last August, right before Crucible came out, um, we were kind of looking for a new game. Our playgroup is really into board games, you know, the four or five or six of us. And we we played uh, Star Wars Destiny for a long time, which was a, actually a really good game. Uh, had some complaints towards the end there, but, um, you know, that was pretty rewarding. And it's nice to have a good balance of like your cooperative board games where you're just having a blast with your pals and then uh the kind of bitterly competitive games in your life yeah. so uh you know uh i think taylor i don't know if it was from team covenant or how he found out about flesh and blood but you know we we were just looking for a new game to try and we tried legend of the five rings and maybe a mm-hmm. couple others but we settled on flesh and blood and it uh you know, it was it was pretty great right from the get go. Just just like the flexibility of playing the game, you know, you don't brick on your hands so much or, you know, it's like every card does three things. It just um, makes it a very fluid learning process and pretty fun in that in that regard. Yeah. Uh, so we we cracked some boxes and then shortly after opened the crucible boxes. And um, at that time. Uh, not a lot of people knew about the game and there weren't that many content creators. So uh, it was Taylor's idea to start a podcast to kind of, you know, help grow the game. I don't think it needs our help anymore, but you know, that was, that was that time. Yeah. Get out to, to people out there. And 
I was going to ask actually, so how long after, you know, you, you said August last year, you pick up the game, yeah, you and Taylor and, and some friends crack some boxes. And then at what, how long after that was it that the Attack Action podcast was kind of birthed? Um, kind of right away. I think maybe September or October. Taylor had wanted to make a podcast for uh, quite a while, you know, about other games or other topics maybe. So he was already kind of raring to go. And I was working quite a lot then. Um, I don't remember if Taylor was, but then that winter I wasn't so much. And again, it was just quarantine. So having a project like that was, you know, a, a good creative way to, I don't know, be productive. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you know this, but Taylor actually pitched me a 10-pin bowling podcast um, just for all the all the viewers out there. And I just I had to turn it down. I said, Taylor, you've got to stop coming <laughs> with these crazy ideas for podcasts. It just, you know, like last week it was, you know, the knuckle bones. This week it's 10-pin bowling. Like it's just getting out of hand. But, you know, you guys hit on hit on some gold with flesh and blood. Uh, and I one of the cool things, if you know, for those of our viewers of Time the Round who or listeners who may not have heard all of these hack action podcasts or have only heard some of the more recent episodes you guys actually started originally like kind of documenting your journey right so like kind of the learnings and what was happening as you were starting to get into the game for those first few months prior to because basically there was no events right so it wasn't like you you were both talking about you know events or like i think you sort of had a, a dozen episodes or so before road to nationals even rolled around right so you were talking a lot about like the development of the game how you how you're both learning it getting into it, the heroes you were playing you had a few guests things like that yeah, it was pretty interesting because without, I mean, there was definitely Session Blood and a few other um, kind of meta, meta heavy podcasts, but, you know, there just wasn't a lot of content out there. And of course, the game changes quite a bit with, you know, the release of each set. And yeah, with the whole world shut down, no competitive play at all. It was just kind of like, well, there's no news. So we need, you know, we'll just talk about like our news you just make our tournaments and stuff yeah and it turned out we did get some feedback like way later on that people who got into the game at the same time and didn't have any news or any meta or like anything um kind of enjoyed following us on that journey so i think we got a bit lucky with the timing that wise you know that way yeah i um i listened to a few of your earlier podcasts and then i heard um your the podcast on deck building which i think is like the first time that we spoke was shortly after that because i um i just shouted out to, to taylor i think and just said you know like this is a, a great piece of content that you guys have put out it's really helpful i think for a lot of players who are, like you say entering the game around the same time as you all have been in the game for a little bit and just don't have this uh this resource so you know i think you guys started to move to some of those those podcasts as you you know taking your journey and then turning it into a bit of a like a how-to or things that really you know cheat like a cheat sheet almost that got you through some of those early sort of pieces because the game like you say like it, learning it is um you know it, it can be fluid but some things aren't intuitive especially if you haven't played other other tcgs before um and then the deck building side in particular can be can be particularly difficult you can learn some hard lessons um and if you've got someone like a you know a sherpa like isaac or, or taylor there to, to help you through some of that i think that can be really beneficial so yeah i love that episode that you guys did Thanks. Yeah, we actually made a deck building episode like three or four or something right around when we started, maybe last November. And then we, after the Monarch meta or after the Monarch release, we made another deck building episode, which is a little bit updated. Yeah. Because we learned quite a lot since then. Um, but yeah, I think that's also, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> sorry. It's okay. 
I think that's uh I think that's also a byproduct of like not having a lot of news in the flesh and blood world that cover. So you have to kind of create your own content, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so you've I guess, you know, it's been what? It's been over a year for you now with the Attack Action podcast. You you celebrated your, you know, your your one year anniversary, your your first birthday not too long ago. And I wanted to to ask a bit about what the Attack Action podcast kind of means for you and Taylor and like what is the the future of that that piece for you guys? Obviously, for yourself and and taylor you've started to play some competitive flesh and blood um obviously road to national season and then yourself making the the top eight at us nationals so what is there is that changing what the attack action podcast is do you guys have like you know set future plans or is it you know is it about the two of you and, and your journeys and continuing that piece of of podcasting um i actually don't think it's changed very much at all. I mean, I think our content has got quite a bit better as we've learned more about the game and as we've participated in metas and, um, you know, become more competitive ourselves. I think our advice and our kind of like content quality density, you know, goes up. But our podcast is kind of the same speed, right? Like we try to share um, kind of strategic things we learn, but we're also not too serious about it you know um it has been really good for uh advertising our podcast because it's like you you know you put out a deck tech video or you uh you know talk about how to deck build or how to test or whatever and then if you can actually like perform in a tournament setting uh it helps kind yeah. of back up your advice i don't think that uh you know I think it still would have been good advice had we not performed well, but it, that just like helps get our name out there. Your guys' shout out uh, helps us out too, I'm sure. And um, as far as the future goes, I don't, there's kind of this weird um, spot we're in where what we do takes quite a lot of time and energy, but we, you know, we don't like make money at it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it would take like, well, as you and Brendan know, I'm sure. I think it would take a big leap in uh, time investment to kind of take us to the next level where some things start to, you know, pay for themselves a little bit or, you know. Uh, so I guess it's just hard to, you know, dedicate like 15 more hours a week to uh, content creation if we're, you know, one or both of us are already pretty busy in our personal lives. And um, there's also kind of a barrier. Uh, our, our buddy Collins on the team now, who is a huge help, but there's a little bit of a barrier as far as like um, technical prowess. Because uh, I can like certainly edit a video, but it takes me probably three times longer than someone else. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, just wanted to say thank you for what what you both do, and I know there's a lot of uh, listeners and viewers of of Arsenal Pass who also listen to and and uh, watch what you and Taylor and now Colin put out uh, with the Attack Action you know, channel and, and podcast. So just wanted to say thank you. I wanted to probably dive into a little bit because you're kind of famous for playing uh, so far, playing off meta decks. I mean, you just made top eight at US Nationals with, with the Ice Lexi deck. Uh, you know, seven Rune Blades, one, one Isaac, as I like to say in that top eight. Um, but let's go back a little bit further in terms of the road to national season and how you kind of got to Orlando. So road to national season starts, um, you know, I think that's kind of just before I just met you both, 
And I know we talked about a, a particular deck at some point in Road to National season, but how many Road to Nationals did you play and what did you play in those Road to Nationals? Uh, so I went to one a few hours south of me uh, with Taylor and our buddy Mitch, or my brother-in-law actually, Mitch. And I brought Azalea. <clears throat> and I uh, I think I went two and four. But one of my games essentially went to time because my opponent kind of slow played me. So I like just took the the Kadachi swing or whatever at the end there. And my last game also went to time, but I was playing a, a control dash and I don't know if that was really anybody's fault. It was just like, you know, the game, <laughs> I wasn't quite out of cards, <laughs> you know, I'd like remembranced uh, remorseless back and was like hammering away, but it just kind of ran out. So, you know, I learned a lot about tournament play and um was kind of like unsatisfied with that result i had no illusions that like my azalea build beats chain and i should win road to nats or anything but it was just like not the the best performance um so shortly after that i don't i don't remember if it was a week or two but i i drove uh myself up to portland for road to nats and took azalea and uh there i it was a while ago now, but I think I went four and one or something like that and uh, top aided, which I was much more satisfied with. I beat my buddy on Bravo, unfortunately, but beating Bravo is always really satisfying. <laughs> <for> <laughs> yeah, sure. good stuff with Azalea. Um, yeah, and then I did not get my invite. I played a, you know, a chain, a very talented chain player who had a road to nat play mat um, in the first round of top eight. Whenever you sit down and they have Flicks the top on you. eight play mat, you're like, ah. <laughs> did you did you by chance buy yeah. this of someone or? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then after that, I I was like pretty satisfied with that, so I uh, I switched to Leviah, mm-hmm. who I'd played a a little bit, but not very much. I think I would have been more productive having stuck with that deck from the or starting with that deck, but I did have quite a few reps. Um, you know, against like chain and stuff. I just didn't have a Bravo game plan and all that. And then I, I think I got like 10th or something out of 32 players or something like that. Um, at my third road to Nats, yeah. um, taking a, like round three loss to a, a kind of control Bravo. Um, and I just had no game plan, which is just like my poor preparation and, you know, switching decks but i very much enjoy playing levaya and uh i just kind of i'd been playing azalea for so long and with no real competitive outlet that i kind of felt compelled to like kind of test my metal or perform with ranger and then once i'd kind of scratched that itch i was like all right well levaya actually kind of has what it may take hmm. so i wanted to give that a go and levaya i played levaya in the um Las Vegas calling, and then I was going to bring it to nationals up until, you know, I don't know, nine days before nationals or whatever the lightning briar news uh, really dropped. Yeah. So nationals, I mean, so I think last time I spoke to both you and Taylor, this would be like maybe three weeks before nationals. Taylor had his invite because Taylor won uh, a road to a road to nationals, I think came fourth and another. Um, So he was all set, but couldn't couldn't go because of you know commitments and things like that but then 
you decided to go. So how long before nationals did you actually decide to go and how did you end up qualifying? Was it through XP? Yeah, I, uh, I was surprised to have qualified because I wasn't really, I didn't grind anything out. Um, I guess I played a pre-release at our local shop as well, but that's kind of it. So, uh, that was a surprise. And then I just accepted my invite because I figured I could decide later. And then, you know, leading up to it, it's like I, I could afford it and I had the time and you kind of just, you know, regret the things you don't do. So I, I was like, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to qualify again, or I'm certainly going to try next year, but, uh, it's like, I can do this right now and there's no real reason not to, except for, you know, finances, I guess. But so, yeah, I, I, I think I bought my plane ticket maybe like 10 days beforehand or something. And, um, but yeah, then I was also faced with the whole, like, I was like, well, I could just side pummels into Leviah, but like, that doesn't beat, you know, lightning briar, you know, it's just like not enough. Um, all my cards blocked for three or six anyway. So I had to, uh, decide to go and then like adjust to that which wasn't so bad though because everybody had to adjust to it so it maybe even the playing field for me like in my favor as opposed to deciding to go last minute and playing players who had like you know tested for 20 hours a week for three months straight um so i think that was uh, ended up being in my favor even though i also had to switch last minute and so when did that, where did the list come from? Like where did, obviously, you know, you've spent a year honing your craft with the, the bow and arrow, you know, you're a, a ranger specialist at this point. Uh, as we said, you know, you like these, these heroes you, and I think you've talked about this before, um, you know, the way that you've been drawn to heroes in this game is through like affinity for certain play styles or things you enjoy about them. And obviously rangers one. So you had the ranger experience, but then you moved to Lexi. Like, how does that happen? Where does the list come from? What sort of happens in those sort of those 10 days as you decide to change and, and play Lexi? Yeah, so I had made, because Ice Lexi is kind of my thematic favorite deck in the new set, but I, I just threw one together and then played it a couple times right when Tails came out. And it just felt like really linear. Um, it's probably a pretty bad deck, but, you know, it, it kind of felt like it just kind of did one thing and wasn't very adaptive. Um, which was probably just my being very new at it and not uh, creating a flexible enough deck. So then I, I like moved off of it. Uh, I kind of made lightning Lexi, but I was mostly, um, mostly not playing really, but you know, playing a bit of Leviah, I guess also. And I think after the road to Nats and Las Vegas, like season, we kind of just stopped playing nearly as much because there's no like, you know, weekly testing or whatever and it's kind of good to take a little breather um so i i realized i couldn't use levia and i guess the what was it the wednesday before um we've been having wednesday morning testing not really for anything but um so that wednesday i had I knew Levia wouldn't work and I asked Taylor to put the Cheerios Briar deck together. And I, I played once as Ice Lexi against it and once with an Azalea deck I had built. Cause that was still, I like, I can't, I couldn't I'll let it go. It. I still can't <laughs> give it up. <laughs> um, and I, I lost the Azalea match and it wasn't that far off, but it's like Azalea just has consistency issues where as much as I love it, there's like, there's no built in um, consistent mechanic. It's like you can 
draw fire or you can get a knock or a memorial ground or a red in the ledger or something or but you know there's also a turn where you'll just fire like a a pumped searing shot for seven and you'll block for six or something and like in the current ever since you know the chain meta it's like the chain and briar and stuff you just have to have a a better mid or better game plan than that kind of just mid-range efficiency so I mean, then I, I just, in that one game with Ice Lexi, it was not a very good deck either, but it really taught me kind of what I needed to do. Like cards like Winter's Bite mm-hmm. uh, gives them a Frostbite, so it strips a card on their next turn because they don't want to pitch at all. So having to pitch a card strips one card, and the Winter's Bite effect strips another card. So you're just stripping two of their cards, essentially, for your one card. And there's a lot of cards like this that... uh are just like really effective. Um, And it wasn't that difficult to, I mean, I had a game plan for a lot of other decks, but that deck I brought was not, I mean, since then I've been working on an Ice Lexi deck that's like more effective in general, but that deck I brought was targeting Briar. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not very good against, you know, a lot of other decks. Right. But, you know, I figure it's just like Cheerios Briar is by far the best deck. It runs over everything. All I have to do is like win a couple rounds and like perform well in draft. And then I would be up hopefully with only Briars. And honestly, it, just, it like makes it a lot easier when you just lay out your cards and have to just build a deck based on theory and mm-hmm. take it. It's just a lot easier if I'm only trying to do one thing, yeah. you know, it, it made it really simple. I appreciate so. those kinds of builds. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So uh, Blue Winter's Bite. I mean, that card, I was surprised how good that card is. Like, since since I started playing with that card and constructed, you know, not long after release, that was a card that really surprised me. I'm sure it's a card, you know, just Winter's Bite in general, you said, is a card that did a lot of work. So obviously, you put the deck together, a lot of theory, a little bit of testing, what you can get in before you, you rock in. Um, and then let's talk about the event. So you get to Orlando uh, day one. So it's a draft first of all. So it's three rounds of draft. Uh, three three more rounds of constructed than another draft. Is that right, or is it six rounds of constructed? No, it's it's three draft, five constructed. Five constructed. And the next day, it's three draft, five constructed again. Yeah, it's a lot of rounds. So first draft pod. Yeah. How does that go for you? Um, great. I w- <laughs> I was psyched to be drafting. I really having previously been kind of a limited curmudgeon, I've totally fallen in love with and really love um, the Tales limited format. That's great. And at this big event with a lot of pressure, I mean, I didn't really have much pressure on myself because my expectations were not super high, but it's a lot, it was a lot nicer to just like sit down and play some draft, you know, as opposed to like sitting down with your well-prepared deck and, like the pressure's really on and you have to perform because in draft it's it's a little nerve wracking because you're not in control of everything but it's also just like you know what are you going to do you just you just gotta i don't know play it on the fly because yeah, that's like that's the nature of it yeah <laughs> so i went i played a weird like aggro ice oldheim deck because that was my seat but um you know it was a, it was a pretty good deck i went two and one uh, and then after that, I think, 
So two one and draft, then you're heading into the the five constructed rounds, right? So do you yeah. do you immediately walk into some some briar? Is it your dream or is it? <laughs> do you know no, how many briars you played actually in constructed? Yeah, I played against a lightning Lexi first. Oh, interesting. Which you're like, ah, oh, come on, you know, I'm not here for you. Like we shouldn't be fighting each other. <laughs> We're on the but, same side. That, yeah, that's how it. That's how it goes. Um, I assumed he was lightning though, uh, which was a good good assumption. Um, since then, the Ice Lexi Mirror is the Wild West. It's a crazy match. So yeah. uh, now in hindsight, I'm glad I did not play any Le- uh, Ice Lexi Mirrors. Um, but I beat that. I went down 26 to 40 turn one and then one, which is how like most of the games go. Um, so beat Lightning Lexi. I think I may have played a Briar and then I can't remember the order, but I did play a Bravo, which I lost to, and then played only Briars from then on. Really? Um, I did have a Bravo game plan. I just like, I got my t- first two hands were red and I went second, you know, and I did okay the second half of the game, but it was just like too far gone. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I was really hoping to not face any dashes or bravos and fortunately only faced one. But I think, like I said, I think um, doing well in draft kind of helps propel you up to the briars, Mm -hmm. right? Because it it just gives you a good, um, you know, a good record by the time you sit down for scenes or uh, classic constructed, you know? Yeah. So day day one, uh, eight rounds in total. So what was your record at the end of day one? Six and two. Six and two. And then so head into day two, and it's another draft, right? So tell me tell me about yeah. about that draft. How does that go? Um, I was a little more uncomfortable because I was like, huh, I already I already have a good record, you know. Now I like have to do well. In draft. <laughs> like my constructed game plan is going well, so uh, the draft is a little more uncomfortable. But again, it's like there's nothing to be done. You just gotta like play it. Um, <clears throat> I did uh I went three and oh I pack one picked one uh channel mount heroic and then uh a couple lightning cards and a couple briar cards and then I just like hard pivoted to Lexi because that's what uh, my seat was and my deck was mean. It was yeah. like really good. I was the one of two Lexis maybe and I prioritized pumps and it was just like I just won before their game plan started, right? Like I'd play like a control old him, but it's like we'd gone through a third of our, our decks, you know, and I'd won. So yeah, <clears throat> there's no chance to like really get your engine going and get your Summerwood shelter in the graveyard for the recursion mm-hmm. or, you know, like whatever. You're just like, it's already, um, which I really, um, my loss in draft on day one had come to from a Lexi player who was kind of in the same position I was where you're like the only one at the table and your deck's really good. So yeah. I like um, that you, I was um, a little bit inspired by that. Yeah. I like that you, you know, one of the cool things about draft and you navigating that draft pod is like you say, you know, you take the channel mountain rock, really powerful card. And there's a big urge to like try and commit to that card. Right. And you say, you know, a few lightning cards and then you take some briar cards and it looks like it could be on and then it just dries up. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're getting put into a Lexi deck and, and you know the the awareness to be like, okay, I've just got to set aside my first pick and probably my my fourth and fifth picks as strong as they are, uh, because I'm gonna the card quality is gonna go drastically down here. I'm gonna be fighting for these cards. I'm probably gonna end up with a pretty average to poor deck, and this channel mountain rock's not gonna get me out of it. There's a gas Lexi deck coming around the table here, and if I move into this, 
my first five picks, whatever, I've still got time, right? You get you get 15 dud picks, right? And if you are going to be wheeling amazing, you know, arrows and pumps and stuff like this, then, you know, you don't you don't need all uh, remaining 40 picks. So um, I think that's a really important thing to take away from draft. And to be honest, one of my favorite things about draft is like working out what your seat is and pivoting and, and um, knowing when to stay open and when to commit to things. Yeah, Accurate. definitely. Um, <clears throat> and as you know, I know you're a huge limited fan. You know, it's like turn one, you just have to block with that channel Mount Heroic or whatever. It doesn't, <laughs> it definitely does not it's hinge on one, one card. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think Lexi's kind of a dangerous pick in draft because she's like really, really weak once there's three or four of them at the table, mm-hmm. but really powerful when there's, you know, one or two maybe and but just if you see like red weave lightning or you know and like red uh overflex come around and there's also this kind of silver lining of playing as lexi is that you're going to get um wheeled blue arrows at the end of every round whereas like oldheim you have to prioritize picking blues and Mm -hmm. make sure your ratio is up high enough whereas with lexi you just like going to get fed your resource cards at the end so that's like i think that's a pretty big factor actually it's pretty nice yeah you can be focused on taking you know your your heaven's claws if you're lightning or your your ice pumps yeah. or your winter spikes or whatever cards you need and then you just get you know these resources back around and late picks and you're like yeah my, my, my deck's good here i've got some options late i've got i've even got some usable blue arrows if i need uh my hand's awkward so it's like yeah i, yeah. I really enjoy drafting Lixie in this format uh it's probably the the deck i actually enjoy drafting the most um, even if it's not necessarily the deck that I always want to be in or think is, is the strongest. But yeah, that's cool. So three are draft. Awesome starts. You're now nine and two at this point. Is my math bad? Yep. No, nine and two. Yeah. And so you basically need to X1, I guess, to, to top eight and construct it from there? Uh, unsure. I wasn't really keeping track at that point. You're just like, I'll just keep playing until they tell me to stop. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like you can't really, or at least for me, it's just like I just have to play each game, you yeah. know, and... Um, I didn't really think about like, oh, I actually could top eight at this point because there's like, you know, I don't know, 450 people there or something. So, you know, if I'm nine and two and then I drop two more games, I could like not top eight, you know, so uh, it's actually kind of off off the table for quite a long time or like, you know, your odds of top eighting are pretty low for most of your play time. You know, it's just like, the last rounds of the day you know that you're like maybe in um but like i said those so now i've gone five and one in draft and i'm nine and two which that's why i think that performing in draft really like helped my kind of linear game plan of just bringing like targeting briar because then i was higher up because i you know like other good players had brought you know like oldheim or ice lexi but maybe got like a bit more unlucky in their matchups or hadn't done as well in draft you know i don't know what the factors are but um for whatever reason i was you know able just to be at like high enough tables to face like priors priors yeah yeah so you end up i think you go two one in the next three rounds right is that right uh i no i won out until the last round of the day yeah yeah but i just kept playing um briars yeah and then is it you play as you play against a chain or what's your last round yeah i played it against uh michael who was in the finals 
um, on chain. And uh, I've never played that matchup before. And it was, it was quite a bit tougher. And I'm like pretty fried at the end of the day. Um, I'm, I don't have the mental stamina for these things. I think that some of the like more practiced pros have, cause I'm like my eighth round of each day. Um, I kind of struggle to like, uh, continue to be real sharp and, you know, mm-hmm. make all the best decisions. Um, so I'm unsure, but that said, uh, you know, it, it just might be like a tougher matchup. Yeah. You know, he has Husk, he has more blues, doesn't care about the card strip quite as much because he has the card advantage from banish um you know there's all these factors but yeah i think that that came down to yeah i popped my bracers to i was gonna throw an arrow for seven at him and he inverted me and i think he was on four life and i was on two or something but it was like my only play i was uh losing by that point you know yeah so okay but if that didn't really matter we were just playing for first or second yeah yeah so in the yeah. end you so you come in is that right you come in second seed at the end of uh yeah, yeah. which i'm what 12 and 3 yeah or 13 and 3 i guess 13 and 3 yeah and then roland so obviously that's kind of you get now you get a break now you get to go home you get yeah. to sleep you get to come back the next morning how like how are you feeling i know we we ran into each other the next morning uh before you went to top mm-hmm. eight which actually funny enough this time we met, we were trying to see each other all weekend, but obviously Isaac had a phenomenal weekend. It was very busy. So, you know, I got, I got relegated to the sidelines. I was, I was excited. I was like, Isaac, I just want to, just want to hang out. You know, he's like, no, I can't. I'm just crushing nationals right now. I'll talk to you. Now. It wasn't like that at all. Um, so we run into each other in the morning. I think you were pretty popular as well. <laughs> I just wanted to get, catch yeah. up. We didn't finally got to meet. So we chat in the morning, but I asked you how you felt and you were just, you were like pretty, pretty calm, right? You're like, I'm just gonna go for a walk. Um, feeling good i guess you kind of had the same attitude right of like just a, a game at a time and just play what's in front of you yeah i mean i was actually nervous for the first time that morning because i like made top eight right there was no because at the beginning of day two you're, you're like six and two i mean yeah, you just lose out there's like no you're not like oh i'm in a really strong position it's like so far to go but you know the third morning having made top eight um and having never really been there before i'd never played on camera before the you know the end of day two and stuff so i uh i was a bit nervous um but you know like you said it's just like i don't know you gotta show up and sit down and play (laughs) so yeah no no very good and so um top eight you run it's funny i was talking to 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 tarek uh around the top eight and he said we just um we just practiced for against ice lexi because they <laughs> they're pretty confident you know that they felt good in the mirror match that they had to play in top eight and then um they they thought that you know you're probably going to cruise past the briar but i know matchup ends up going you know very the variance gods kind of play into it a bit right you have some pretty tough uh, tough beats in that game unfortunately and the the your, your quarterfinal doesn't go quite as planned yeah um yeah, there's kind of a lot to unpack there. I mean, I think I played the whole quarterfinal pretty tight. Yep, I'd agree. I think I made good decisions up until the last point. I even like, you know, pitched. Like if I had seen my second cycle, it would have been good too, although you never do. Um, up until the very end. because So part of the thing about my deck, and uh, since then I've like changed it a bit, but at the time I was running 22 arrows and 28 threats total, which is like pretty low actually. 
But the thing about attacking uh, um, Briar is that, so if I don't see a threat in my hand, you can still play like Winter's Bite, Winter's Bite, Channel Lake Frigid or something like that. Like all of your non-threats still like really hamper them. So that was kind of my thinking is that like, I don't want to be too, I don't have an all arrow hand because then you have zero hit effects or, you know, like, I don't know. I had like command and conquer because you can ice quake command and conquer and it's really brutal for them. Yeah. Um, things like that. So I just kind of prioritize like attacking that specific deck over like more efficiency. Um, and in, in that game towards the end, I did kind of misplay at the end. Um, but I don't know. So I, I had a four card hand and I decided not to block and I decided to play three of a kind. So I was like, well, I haven't seen a threat or an arrow. So like in the next three, like I'll definitely see an arrow, um, which is just kind of like poor, poor math and poor decision making. Part of my thought process was like, I had a weave ice showing, but I could have hit like a remorseless and a Bolton shot or something like that, which doesn't proc weave ice. So I, no matter what I drew, I wanted to be able to effectively like play out my hand yeah. and win the game. Because you've taken you know? the damage right um, to do so. Yeah. Um, but I should have, you know, blocked. I should have played Winter's Bites out before the three of a kind. You know, there's like all kinds of like much smarter plays I should have done. Um, which I think kind of speaks to like my um, little bit of inexperience, you know, or like pressure on the spot. I was just like, no, nah, it'll be fine. Like, what are the odds of not seeing a threat in four cards or not seeing an arrow in seven? You know, it's like pretty low. I'll be fine. And then I wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it, it happens. And I like learned, you know, I there's a few decision points I looked at afterwards, like the turn before and the turn after and like things I could have played a little bit differently and like better lines I could have taken, which is a little disappointing. Cause like I said, I was pretty proud of how tight I'd played all tournament to then be like, man, that wasn't really the best way to do that. Yeah. It really mattered. But it's a sign of like, I think that's the, the kind of player you need to be to do well in this game that you have to be introspective. You have to look back at, at those plays because um, I think if you just kind of go, you know, I got a bit unlucky, uh, like you, you know, like I, I said at the start, you know, the variance. But you look at that and go, well, actually, you know, these are the three densities I had. This is like what I could have hit, and it still wouldn't have been what I needed, etc. You know, like you look through that, and that's where big learnings come from. About first of all, your deck building, right? So you go back and you start to look at the the, the shell of that deck and what you want to do. But then also the plays at the time, and maybe how you could have played differently in that situation. And and further down the track, you know, a similar situation might come up, and you've got these things to come back on where. You know, um, actually, you know, I've thought about these kinds of lines of play before. I know what I do and do not want to uh, be getting into in terms of situations. And that's how you get better at this game. So, you know, no surprise for me that, that Isaac, you make uh, top eight of nationals. Obviously, great one on the weekend. Just wanted to say congratulations again. And obviously, you now have a, a PTI. Uh, so what's um, a few questions I want to kind of wrap up, you know, that time around with today. With your PTI, what's kind of your plan for, for 2022? um with no like tournaments announced yet i don't know but i only have one pti and i'm unsure how much i'll attend or how productive i will be in the future so i would really like to just save it for worlds yeah um that's also kind of meta dependent like if i think that the meta is pretty fun and healthy i would love to go you know if it's like the chain meta i would probably pass so 
there's like a lot of factors there. Um, yeah. But yeah, just to go back and I kind of like always try to believe, right? Like, because if you just say like you got high rolled or you got unlucky, it's like you don't really learn anything, right? Because you like right. may have gotten high rolled or you may have gotten unlucky and it may turn out your lines of play were what you should have done and you do it the same next time. But it's like just like initially dismissing a game as being like, well, they just drew better. Like, I think you need to look at it as like, what could I have done better? And then determine, you know, well, I did everything perfect. They just drew better or not. Yeah. I think it's like a, just a little bit more productive yeah. way to look at the game. Massively yeah. agree. I mean, Flesh and Blood is such a there's a there's so many decisions in a game of Flesh and Blood that almost certainly you, you didn't play the game perfectly. <laughs> and yeah, we totally <laughs> we talk about this a, a lot in testing, right? Where it's like, what are the takeaways from the game? Because you can go through and you just be like, oh yeah, this is the result. This deck feels more favored into this or whatever it might be. But hold up, like let's actually. If we want to get better at this game and also we want to get better at understanding this matchup, we need to start to look at decision points and, and lines in those games. And, and um, it's, uh, it's something you can even do like in draft, for instance. Like it's, Actually, it's, I think it's easier to do in draft. Is you can be drafting, right? And uh, yes, let's use your example, right, Isaac? You get to pick pick six and you decide that, yeah, Lexi is really starting to open up here. I'm going to pivot. My other sort of resources of Briar and Earth have dried up. Um that's a decision point in that draft, right? And it's the same when you play a game of Flesh and Blood as there is decision points and you could go one way or the other and then that's going to lead to more decision points. Um, so there's always going to be something I think you can look back on, whether it be in a draft, for instance, or it be in a game and say like, you know, based on what I know and what I'm trying to learn, like this is a decision point that was really critical in the game, whether for right or wrong. Um, yeah, I just think it's, it's massively important in a game like Flesh and Blood. I don't think you'll get better... Uh, if you don't sort of look at those sort of things and don't sort of think back on your games or you will struggle to get better, especially at the fundamentals and decision-making in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. And there's this like really cool, um, I don't know, like mental phenomenon that happens where, you know, you'll be playing a game and you'll have like, so you have three lines in the quiver, right. That you like already take and you'll, you know, you're testing against a friend and you will just like, you'll want to pick one and be like, all right, these are my options and I'll pick, and then you'll just kind of like stop and like think about it some more and try to figure it out. Cause you're not on the clock. And then you'll, you know, another line will open up. Like maybe you, uh, maybe you're playing Lexi and maybe you, you're like, okay, actually I can take three more damage. I have a weird resource count in my hand, but I have one extra. So I can just use the floating one to load an arrow and then I can arsenal and then I'll have a six card hand next turn mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, that like I would not have thought of in my first game playing as Lexi, you know? Um, and then you, that'll kind of dawn on you and it's like a really fun, you know, revelation. And then like from now on, that's kind of in the quiver, right. Or, you know, the play I won't block you know. the surging strike because I only have two cards in my hand to block with and I have to block the, you know, so like, Anyway, it just goes on and on, but just like, I guess, like, um, <clears throat> kind of finding and then packing away for later new lines just because you took the extra little time to like explore it mentally or like maybe with your play partners, like really rewarding. I really enjoy that part yeah. of the game. Hugely agree. Yeah, there's often so many plays that even if you go back and look at, you probably won't pick them up. And the best way to do that is actually to to start to identify these turns in some way and then be like, okay, like, let's just sit here and do it in testing. I remember once in testing during the Road to National season when we were first sort of 
uh, working out how to beat like Snag with Chain. Me and Brennan played a game where we had an in-game sequence against like a Bravo Fatigue where we went back and played the, the in-game sequence like four or five times. I think we sat there for like 45 minutes just playing the sequence through and being like, you know, like, what if you did this? What if you did that? Like, what are, and just trying to learn some of the, I guess, the key patterns that could come up and how you could, how you could basically use those to your advantage and what they look like. So that, like you say, you pack them away for later and then that situation comes up and you know that, okay, this is the most efficient source of damage. I need this card at the end of the game. Otherwise I won't be able to push the last point of damage or whatever, like things like that. So there's always that, there's that for every deck and there's going to be that in every single format, I think, which is honestly like, that's one of the best things about Flesh and Blood, I think. That's uh, that's what makes the game sure. so unique in these decision points. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, you know, whatever line you found after that 45 minutes, it's like you may not have realized that in the beginning. So then when you just like reflect back and you're like, no, I think that was the best line because it like, you know, you're not aware of the the new line, right? You like really have to explore it and uh, analyze it to like discover it. If you just kind of are like, no, nah, I could have done this or this. So uh, I did the right thing. It's uh, it's just it, it takes more mental effort to think critically. And it's like pretty easy to just kind of be dismissive or just kind of roll through things and uh you know, that's true in everything. So I think that that's, um, you know, I think that's what makes like you and Brendan really great players is that you uh, took that, took that time, you know, just on that one particular moment. I think it's just picking and choosing your times. Like you, if you use it, like you're an explorer, like use an analogy of you're an explorer, you can, you can take paths that are already there, right? And paths that you've created previously that you know about, but sometimes you need to, you know, you need to hack a new path and you need to find out like, you know, actually, I can get from point A to point B faster if I make this new path. And those are the things that you're looking for, I think, when you're doing testing, when you're playing games, uh, when you're armories, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Good discussion, Isaac. Good discussion. I want to I wanna wrap up uh, time in the round this week with a final question. We've got Everfest coming in February. What are you expecting? What do you want from Everfest? What are your hopes? Does it uh, involve any sort of arrows or, or Azalea support? Um, so... Uh... Fletcher's gloves or something like that. That's like break this, fetch an arrow out of your deck, not dominate or anything, just load it or like load a card face down. It's a three power arrow or something would be really nice. Um, there are also a few kind of, I don't know, like design holes in the game. And this isn't a critique. It's like, will be true of any game, but like, you know, like Kano can't pop auras there's no wizard mechanic to pop a prism aura. And there's just like a few things like that, that I think that they could round out about the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also like to see, like, I really enjoy ice and heart of ice to combat defense reactions um, because it, it always leaves kind of this out for uh, attacking control. Um, I do enjoy those tools. Like um, they're definitely counters for lightning briar, but just kind of more broad strategies for more characters to be viable, right? Like it would be nice if, uh, you know, cause it feels like, like Reinar just needs, you know, maybe two or three kind of specific cards and then they could attempt to be competitive in a, a hyper aggressive meta or something like that. So that's kind of what I'm looking for is like just broadening the archetype um, or broadening the ability to combat extreme archetypes with like a little bit more characters because we're in a very balanced meta that excludes most characters you know so i guess that's what i'm looking for a little bit more 
yeah, I don't know, tools to get more of them in the game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, what about you? You were pretty prepared for that question. So <laughs> I can tell you thought about it. <laughs> We've talked about it before. Yeah. 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 I think, I, I think I've talked about mine on, on the show a few times. There's, um, we actually just, we had a discussion this week about like equipment, uh, cause we, we did a podcast about equipment and we talked about what we might see in FFS from equipment, whether we go back to like that crucible model of Majestics that have these build around effects. Um, that's something that I'm, I'm really excited to, to see what they do with, with the Majestics. I'm excited to see what they do with weapons. Um, and this set sounds like we could be getting like higher rarity weapons than we've had in the past. Could we see a legendary weapon? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily something I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, there's just a few things I would like to see some cards that like you said that round out some of the heroes. And I don't know if it's necessarily like for me plugging gaps, but it's for giving options to play different play styles. I think, um, I would love to see some, some cards or maybe some pieces of equipment that allow certain heroes or certain classes to play slightly different ways. Um, I would love to see that maybe with Ninja to make some of the cards like, um, uh, you know, some of the other combo lines from Crucible, maybe more viable. Um, yeah, that's probably what I'd like to see from the set. And I think we're going to get some, some really cool stuff and we're going to, you know, it's almost Christmas and then we're going to find out. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My favorite example of that is claws out of mm -hmm. Crucible because there's a whole new archetype with one card. Yep. It's really, really great. Yep. And one that, that I loved and, uh, was fortunate enough to, you know, like, work on that deck and and uh it's probably been one of my favorite decks so far in, in flesh and blood so yeah i'm looking for something like that again and um in everfest hopefully how are you feeling about nationals yeah starting to starting to get into testing um been doing a bit of drafts the past couple of weeks which is good nice to get the limited side it's obviously my favorite side so i don't mind uh getting yep. some testing for for tails draft and now just trying to get into some constructed there's some there's some data to start with, some things, you know, some hangover from Orlando in terms of some some ideas and um, some things I think we we know. And now it's just trying to work out what do I want to play? I mean, there's decks that I want to play that I don't think I'm going to be able to play because I just don't think I can get the matchups right to where I want them, unfortunately. So yep. probably starting to narrow the field in terms of what I might actually play. Um, but there's still, there's still time, right? There's still six weeks before I probably, you know, I'd say four weeks before I need to make a decision on what deck I'm going to play. And then, you know, I've got six or seven weeks till actual nationals. So, um, but it will come around quickly. But no, so far, so far it's, you know, it's starting. I wouldn't say it's like we're not flying or anything yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Isaac, thank you for coming on and joining me. Um, no, Brendan, but you know what? I think we had some good discussions without Brendan. And <laughs> next time we'll just do it again by ourselves. So I wanted to say, uh, give you an opportunity to plug the Tech Action Podcast and all that you guys do as well before we hit off. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, we obviously make a podcast called the Attack Action Podcast. We have a sister podcast on YouTube uh, called The Reaction Step. We make some degree of YouTube content. We make two episodes a month and one episode of The Reaction Step. Um, I actually have an Ice Lexi deck tech coming out in the Wraith Times on pretty soon here, mid-December. Um, that'll be a bit more well-rounded than um it's like hard to it's hard to beat every deck, <laughs> but it'll be a much more well-rounded deck that can play um strongly into uh quite a few decks um than you know my Cheerios Briar deck. So you can look out for that as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Isaac, for joining us. And um, if you aren't already, make sure you go and listen and subscribe to the Attack Action Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thank you.